Okay. Um, so, uh, all right. So this podcast, I guess, is kind of being spawned by something I've been thinking about making an editorial out of, but haven't. And then uh, I had a Facebook friend today hit me up all sorts of irritated uh, because he's legitimately trying to buy a Civic Type R and and his brain just won't let him pay the markup. And so he's all sorts of frustrated. Um, so... We Hold on, just, time out. Not, not everybody knows what you're talking about, so why don't you explain the markup a little bit? Oh, well, you, Civic Type R's have a, have a dealer markup, so if the car is supposed to be 34, 35K, they're going for 40 to 45 in some cases, yeah. um, just because they're a rare car, supply and demand. Um, so anyway, that's kind of what we're going to get into here, and I think it's best to start with a question we were talking right before this, um, and the question is kind of, what do we as a car community need to do to save the sports car and to keep, um, you know, fun cars coming from from overseas, from domestic, you know, from from everywhere? Um, yeah, it seems pretty pathetic that such an advanced industry can't seem to have every brand having a sports car all at once. Like, it's funny to me that all the American brands do it. Hell, some of the American brands have two sports cars at all, you know, any given time. Um, and, and the Japanese and the Euro guys, for some reason, just they, they, they won't or can't do it. I'm not sure what the problem is, but they, they're, they're not doing it. Everything seems to run better when they do, but for some reason they don't. At least as an enthusiast, in my opinion, it runs better. Well, and, and what I've been dealing with... <clears throat> um, Kind of, you know, the first thing I've been noticing, like, I, I live in a fairly rural area. Uh, there's not a lot of traffic. Every time I take out, you know, a fun car, I'm realizing that I'm getting stuck behind some fat pig SUV, you know, with somebody on the phone, and they can't hold their speed, and they're going too slow. And when you're driving a, a fun car, that's really frustrating. And sometimes I find myself sitting there thinking, what? Like, I spend more time frustrated in these cars than I spend having fun. And it's not because of me. It's because of society now and what we've all been choosing to buy and drive. And, and, um, and it's... We're all on our phones and we're all distracted yeah. and speed no longer matters. We just accept our fate, especially in Atlanta. You just accept that it's going to take you three hours to get wherever you're going. Well, yeah, and as as an enthusiast, it it drives me crazy that I can't enjoy what I purchased and my hobby and my lifestyle because of the decisions of other people. I know that's messed up, but it, you know, like I start finding myself getting selfish. Um, so that combined with my Facebook friend hitting me up, just kind of venting, giving me article ideas. Um, you know, his frustration was with the dealer. Like here I am. You know, everybody says that we don't buy these cars anymore. Here I am trying to put my money where my mouth is and buy one of these cars. And and now the dealer's making it impossible for me. Because his thing is, you look, a Civic Type R is awesome. But when we're at Camaro SS1LE money, I got a decision to make. I have to make the smart decision yeah. at some point. You know, I got to think about resale. I got to think I'm going to be eight or 10 grand upside down the second I drive this off the lot, not counting what it's automatically going to lose. You're driving off the lot. The second you sign the paper, <laughs> that car has a mile on it. Yeah. You've paid by 10 grand. Yeah. So, okay. So to kind of set up our little rough outline here, um, like, okay. So this problem of what we do as a community to get more sports cars as options to get them better and to get them more affordable. 
Um, it's not, it's not something that has, there's no one person to blame and there's no one solution to fix it, right? It's not like, it's not like it's a temperature, it's a climate. There's a lot that's going on. So what we figure we would do now um, is try and hit it from like three directions, the buyers, the manufacturers, and the dealers, right? Because we all have like, we all have, you know, we all take some responsibility in this. Um, I think with the buyers, first and foremost, um, we need to start putting our money where our mouth is. We need to start buying the cars that we are, are telling these manufacturers that they need to make because we're all real loud online. We're all, you know, we all saying what we would totally buy if it existed. And then when somebody tries to make it, we don't. We find the faults in it. Um, the FRS is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And, and the problem is, you know, this, there's a lot of layers to this. Um, I guess that's what we'll get into the manufacturers and the dealers. Um, so I guess, you know, yes, as, as buyers, we need to own up and buy these cars, um, you know, that, that we're seeing people try and make, like a Civic Type R, a Focus RS, um, even cars like the FRS, these things that we're all saying that we want, when they come out, we need to, you know, get up off our wallets a little bit and support it. Now, sure. here is the problem I'm seeing with the manufacturers. They, they need to be competitive. And it kind of comes down to this, to put it simply, like they need to compete with the Mustang. Um, the Mustang is a good benchmark because- The Mustang has become the ultimate benchmark. Uh, and, 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 and that's the thing, like, like I love the FRS or the 86 BRZ, whatever you want to call it. Like I love the concept of it. I would be a buyer for that car. But when the thing comes out at $27,000, you got to, you got to look at what else is out there for $27,000. Yeah. I mean, there, there's your heart and then there's your brain. And at some point the brain's got to take over and say, dude, no, you know what I mean? Like, so I think Japan specifically a is, lot of money for a good looking slow car. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like you were saying earlier, it needs a turbo. I don't necessarily think that it needs a turbo, but it's priced as though it needs a turbo. <laughs> um, you know, like the FRS is an amazing concept at $21,000 or whatever. Um, at 27, it's the price of a Mustang GT and you're getting half the power. And I know there's a million reasons that an FRS is a driver's car and this and that, but in America, we're a light to light country and we base our cars off of, you know, um, Ragging rights. about how damn fast they are. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's how it goes. And, uh, I don't know, man. At some point, you got to start thinking like an adult. <laughs> you got to think about the resale value of these cars and, and how big is the market going to be when you try and sell your FRS in three years and, uh, you know, how much you're going to get for it. Because I don't know. I mean, you probably know a little bit about this being all financial, but um, <laughs> like... You know, we're seeing guys... Is that, with... a, is that a Jew crack? Is <laughs> what is this? No, but I mean, we're seeing guys that, you know, we were just saying that you need to um, get up off your wallet and buy these cars. Well, let's take the FRS, for example. People went out and they did buy them. And four years later, they're getting, yeah, under 10K trade-in values for these cars. Dealers don't want to trade them in. If they do, they send them straight to auction because it makes the new cars look bad. Um... You know, Imagine how, how 
much that hurts the relationship between buyer and seller, whether it's the manufacturer or the dealer. You get this guy in there, probably a young dude in his early 20s, just got a new job kind of recently, Goes says, I'm going to get that FRS, it's a beautiful car. Well, it makes it worse is somebody they, like us, like some magazine yeah. like us is like, man, go get you a new FRS. It'll be the yeah. best financial to get at. You smell like gas in that old 240, trust me, like yeah. a car payment's gonna, you're gonna get your life kind of started, you're gonna build your credit, all these kind of things, and then, yeah, like three you're years. You're gonna sell it, and you realize that you're gonna have to pay the dealer to take it back. Yeah, yeah, I, like, and I understand, Toyota, if you're listening, like, I understand that, like, Mustang makes a bajillion Mustangs, so that means they make a bajillion headlights and body panels and all this kind of stuff, and, and the... The 8.6 is a limited car, you know? And so I understand that it's going to cost more because you don't have the huge production numbers. But um, it's like, you know, the point that you were about to make is, you know, you just got this guy that's maybe a first time new car buyer. He, uh, he goes to Toyota and then three years later, he's completely disappointed by Toyota when he finds out that he's in a world of financial hurt. You think he's gonna be loyal to Toyota at that point? You know, he feels like they did him dirty. Even if it was a great car throughout your three or four years of owning it, and you go to resell it and you, you see that it's worth so little. But I mean, that's supply and demand. You know, a, a good, and for everybody out there listening, a good is only worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. In the, you know, we keep going back to the Mustang, but in the terms of a Mustang or SUVs, there's a hell of a lot more buyers out there for it. So if you want to put a ridiculous price tag on it, there's a much higher chance that somebody is willing to pay that. When it's a car like the FRS, which is a great car, don't get me wrong, that has such a small market of people, such a niche group of people that would want to actually buy one, it makes it really, really difficult to get your money because those potential buyers down the road kind of have you by the balls because they dictate the price. No matter how much you want to throw it up there for 25 grand, it doesn't matter, man. It's not going to sell. Well, yeah, the, the pool of people that are willing to spend 17 grand on a, Musta on a used Mustang GT is much bigger than the pool of people that are willing to spend 17 grand on a used FRS. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I think the point... A lot of that is heritage. Right. Uh, yeah, and I think the point is I understand the reasons, you know, that, that a lot of car companies can't really find a way to arguably compete with the Mustang. Um, the thing is, that doesn't matter. Like, they gotta find a way. Like, the cars either have to be better performers or less expensive. Because right now, the Mustang, like you said, is really setting the bar um, for for a lot of cars. Uh, I mean, you just take. The I would say that a lot of American brands are right now. And and the thing is, that really irks me the most about what the the overseas manufacturers are doing so much right now is that the American brands. And they, got, they caught a lot of shit for it for a lot of years. Because, like in the 80s, the Mustangs were bad. Most cars were bad in the, in the 80s. You know, they, they got good again. They're kind of awesome 90s. looking back. <laughs> looking back, now they're, they're now awesome. Now they're getting old. Yeah, they're cool. It's really cool, but... <clears throat> Excuse me. 70s and 80s, yeah, there was a definite Yeah, so, so the muscle cars started coming out in the 60s. And then, I mean, this was before my time, but 70s was a big gas crunch, right? And they kept powering through. They kept making it. Now, if we go by the, the Japanese and Euro models of what we've seen they do with cars, they would have packed up their ball and gone home. Yeah. But for some reason, these American manufacturers just keep doing it. They keep pounding away and saying, I don't care how expensive gas gets. 
<clears throat> or what happens. This car is a marketing tool for us, and that's what they've done. Uh, the Mustang is a marketing tool for Ford, the Camaro and the, the Corvette, marketing tool for Chevy, and so on and so forth. They keep making these cars year in and year out, even if they, and they do, they do make a profit on it. But I think that even if they didn't make much money on it, they would still sell these and market the crap out of them because it's all about the sizzle. It's all about, you know, kind of like you, man. You're you're the you're the the face of our brand, the face of the franchise. That's what these guys have built here is a true iconic sports car. It's not just iconic in the way that it drives. It's the way that it sounds, the way that it looks, the way that uh, my two-year-old sees it and knows exactly what it is because it's such a memorable, awesome car. And that car is going to be ingrained in his his head for the rest of his life because of what it is and because of how they use it, how they market it, how many of them they have out there. There's just so much more to it. I really wish that a lot of other manufacturers would kind of take this uh, and this this way of doing business and run with it because it works. I mean, we've proven that it works. Yeah, I mean, and I, I hate to sound like I'm stereotyping entire like countries and continents, but it's, I think the American attitude is, is kind of hard-headed and determined and gumption and you know I think I think you know whether it's Ford or Chevy or whoever it is they will convince you that you need a Mustang or a Camaro you know what I mean like they'll be like no nah, you don't want that no nah, you don't want that we're not gonna make you know Econo cars or whatever or, or gas sipping cars like come on you want a Mustang or you want a Camaro and and uh, you know, I think that Japan really excelled when America hit its gas crunch in like '73, right? Because then, you know, Japan and those guys were good at making little economical cars. And by the '80s, they were in full swing, man. They kind of had the market by the balls, and uh, and they were making some really killer little sports cars. What happened is somewhere along the the SUV craze thing, and maybe the '90s. Japan car companies, it could be a culture thing or whatever, they catered. They were like, oh, SUVs, yeah, we could do that for you. You know, and, and then in, what, 10 years ago, in the mid-2000s, when Gas Crunch hit again, they're like, oh, hybrids, we could do that for you. So they never, like, fully developed their their roots. You know what I mean? Like, they never they never had those icon cars that that were strong enough to last through the good times and the bad times. They started to. They yeah. started in the 90s. They, they built iconic cars, but, I mean, you well, brought this built. up earlier. That I, I think that we don't remember it correctly because we were probably a little bit too young. Right. But the true iconic cars, the Supra, the, the 300Z, the NSX, were all too expensive. I mean, you said it earlier. Name somebody. Well, in, in the, in the 80s, those cars were coming up. RX-7s and Supras and, and 300ZXs, you know, like. And then in the early 90s, they got, like, undisputedly awesome mm -hmm. but they also started teetering on that forty thousand dollar price point which in the 90s was a lot of money back a lot of money now and it was kind of at the same time as that that's when the suv thing was like you know all the all the grunge guys were buying their pathfinders or a forerunner and you know toyota was going yeah, you know, let's let's take the forerunner and put a real top on it and let's make this a little bit more refined and let's run with this, you know, and and they kind of they put all their sports cars on the back burner. Um, nice. Um, you know, whereas as as America at that point was starting to kind of figure it out again, you know. Um, so back to another point I was kind of making, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Um, 
when, when we're talking about manufacturers, they kind of seem to have a tendency to go one of two ways. They either overpromise and underdeliver, uh, like in my opinion, the the FRS BRZ. You know, it, it's a great looking car, great handling car, and it just had nowhere near the power of what I expected based on how much they marketed it. And, and Which how you would want, it. yeah. Yeah, why? Well, I, I want to drive that. Come on. Um, and, and it's overpriced for what you're getting. Or they go in the complete opposite direction, almost complete opposite, and they just take everyone into consideration and they build something like the Nissan GTR or, or the new NSX or the Supra, the unicorn that's supposed to come out one day, and it ends up being like Ferrari pricing, but they're like, oh, well, shit, we built it for you. What are you complaining about? You know? So it's it, like, why can't we just meet in the damn middle? It's so frustrating that we can't just meet in the middle. Right, right. And then you have cars like the NSX that they hype for literally years. Yeah. And how many how many Toyota Super Concepts have we seen now? <laughs> well, that's the thing is every time they make a Facebook post or whatever hyping this car that's not here yet, they set the bar higher and higher and higher. And people's well, expectations is, and what we're is, dreaming of gets you know the dream gets bigger and bigger. And then when the car comes out five years later, we go eh. You know, by the time it comes out, it's it's you know too expensive, and and yep. we expected more in our heads because of the hype. Um, yep. You know, meanwhile, America was just steadfast making muscle cars, and mm-hmm. and then in the last what seven years, somehow their muscle cars have turned into sports cars, and now some of their muscle cars have become super muscle cars. <laughs> yeah, You've got I like mean, the Hellcat and the Demon being made now, and the funny thing is, is those cars are still affordable. Yeah, fairly. And they're not doing dealer markups, which kind of brings me Mm -hmm. to that third little trifecta problem, Um, which is, you know, so, so far we got like some responsibility on the buyers, right? We need to buy the freaking cars that we want to see on the road. It goes back to like, every time you make a purchase, you're casting a vote of what you want this world to be, right? So no matter what it is, you buy something on Amazon, you just cast it a vote of how you want the future of the world to play out. For good or for bad you know like so when you go and you buy a car you're casting a vote for what kind of cars you want to be on the road so we need to do our part and we need to be kind of in my opinion obnoxiously waving that sports car you know whatever mm-hmm. aftermarket rice or whatever you want to call it flag like we need to kind of uh, be out there in the streets waving that flag so people see it um, the other thing with the manufacturers, they need to build a car that's competitive, and let's be honest, it either needs to be competitively priced or competitive, one of the two. I don't care which one. I think, I think personally, there's a place for an FRS, and it's in that $21,000 mark, you know? Um, when you get to the 27 to 30, you're getting eaten by the Mustang. Even the 370Z these days is laying over, rolling over dead to the Mustang. Like, come on. Um, to the Mustang of all cars, it's, just, it's I don't know, it's weird, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like, hated Think about me 15 years ago saying that we would have been like, what? Um, <laughs> but anyway, okay. So the third, the third thing is it, dude, like it falls on the dealer because when it does come together, when somebody like Honda makes an awesome car, the Civic Type R, it gets strangled at the dealer because they're. They've got their little grubby hands around it, man, trying to make that extra five grand or whatever markup. Um, and this is, you know, the frustration of my Facebook friend that contacted me. I mean, he's ready to buy 
But again, his brain has to intervene with his heart at some point and say, we're not doing this. And, and he asked him, he was like, why the markup? And they're like, well, the way we figure, like somebody could buy this car new and turn around and sell it for more. So if somebody's going to make that money, it's going to be us. It's like some petty shit, man. Dude, okay. I, yeah, I get it, but that is some petty shit. You know, like, you're in the business of selling cars, dude. Like, move the inventory. Let, yeah. And here's the thing. Like, as a magazine editor, if if people were able to go and buy the CTR for what they're worth, which is MSRP, then they would be out there on the road with them. And who knows? Maybe one of the little ricers would give some Mustang a hard time at a red light. And maybe some kids would have been sitting outside of a Waffle House and seen it happen and go, damn, I want a Civic Type R. Let me get online and look at these things. And next thing you know, they're in the dealership buying one and then another one and then another one. Kind of like what happened with the Mustang over the past 50 years or whatever it's been now. You know, they've developed a, a brand loyalty. They've developed enthusiasts. Um, That's the thing. that The dealers do not have the manufacturer's best interest at heart. No. They care about their own personal bottom line. I mean, the only way that you're ever going to get that to work would be if the manufacturers own the dealerships, mm -hmm. and that would just be, that would be chaos, you but, know, uh, so it wouldn't really work. And here's the thing. Americans want a freaking deal, man. Like, yeah. at least feel like we didn't get fucked. Again, that's our culture. We want a freaking deal. Yeah, we don't want to go in there and spend eight grand, five grand, whatever it is, over invoice, like... It's not what we want. That's the thing about a Mustang. Like, and, and we've said this before. Mike went in to a Ford dealership, bought a Mustang GT, a base, but a GT for twenty-seven grand, zero percent financing for six years. Come on, I mean, no miles on. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> and that wasn't even like after like some hard haggling. That was like the price. And Mike was like, "Can yeah. I maybe get like a hundred bucks off to make me feel good?" And they were like, "Yeah, whatever, man." Like, it's just. <laughs> Like, it, you, you're not going to get that on an FRS. You know what I mean? Like, the, the sales incentives, they need to do a better damn job with that kind of stuff. I don't know how else to say it. Like, Americans want to feel like, like we came out with something, like we got a deal. Um, you know what? A markup is a cute thing to do to a car that's $100,000 plus. Because uh, at that level, those are the kind of guys that brag about how much. Yeah, dude, they get off on that. They spend an extra ten grand on a car because it's new and it's rare, and they go to Cars and Coffee and they rub shoulders and go, "Man, I just spent an extra ten grand on this car because this is the first one." Like, that's fine. Okay, let those guys do that. But when you're talking about a forty thousand dollar car, there's budgets. You know what I mean? Like, like we have, we're working with budgets and money, and we can't afford to get bent over before we even drive the car off the lot and be, you know, five plus grand the whole, we're financing these things probably nine times out of 10. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what these dealers are thinking, you know, like, again, I get it. That, that brings me to another point because I, I do know a good bit about finance and stuff. Who backs that loan? Cause I know, I know that like, if, for example, if you're buying a house. Maybe they don't, maybe you gotta come with Maybe some poor schmucks. They probably do it straight through the dealer. The dealer probably finances it. But a bank, a bank worth its salt, who actually knew what it was doing, would not back that. Yeah. Take the house, for example. Unless you Let's sold you put, your S2000 for ten grand, and that ends up just being the down payment of their markup, which is you're yeah, literally they, just giving not, them. But then they're not backing the, the, 
the additional money. You know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, this is for a lot of people. It all goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, no, like, like for example, when you go to buy a house, if you put a bid down for two hundred thousand dollars, but the house doesn't appraise, it appraises for like one fifty. The bank won't give you more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars. They will not do it. Yeah. So it has to be the dealer fronting the money for this kind of stuff when it comes to the loan. Yeah. And I wonder. That's a good point too. I wonder how much of those end up in, you know, default. You know, because at some point you're just like, wow, now that uh, the lust period is over and I'm coming back down to earth, I don't want to spend $800 a month on a Civic <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing it, you know? And so yeah. I wonder how much of that goes to total hell. Um, yeah. Or how many people online you're going to see trying to, hey, I'm selling my Civic Type R after a year. How much do you want? Well, I need payoff and it's 40 grand. No. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so, uh, yeah, the point is, dealers you're fucking this up like you, you know like we're, we're not dealing with um affluent hundred thousand dollar plus customers here we're dealing with you know tuners younger guys maybe not so much in the case of the civic type r but like we're dealing with you know people that have budgets you know that that they're using this car probably for commuting in a lot of circumstances um and what's that I need to learn their market a little bit better. Well, they need to learn to the market, and they need to realize that, yeah, they're creating a world of crossovers. You know, because you're making it you're making it too hard. I mean, you're taking people that are going, man, I'd really like to have a Type R, for example, and then you get to a dealer, and you're like, man, I really this is really stupid. I can't do this. You know, like I got to do something more sensible here. That's just stupid. The whole point of a freaking hot hatch is to kind of be sensible and fun at the same time. Uh, you're not buying an exotic. That's why it's a hot hatch. You know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, they need to figure out what they're selling. Like you said, and they they need to learn their market. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I you know, like, again, like, it's so complicated because at any point the dealers are going to be like, yeah, but you guys don't understand. You don't know what you're talking about because what we're dealing with is this, and the manufacturers are going to be like, yeah, it's easy for you to say. But you don't understand what we're all the all the you know stuff that we're dealing with here when we're trying to make a car like an FRS or an eight six. Um, so I don't know if there's an easy answer. I... There's not because everybody has their own prerogative. Everybody has their own problem that they're trying to fix. The manufacturer is trying to keep their brand image up and keep their stock price rising. The dealer is just trying to keep that bottom line going, keep popping out cars you know, and, and make as much profit on each one as possible. We can't do anything but possibly buy the stuff that they make. And when they make crap, we buy used. <laughs> uh, so that, it, it's a vicious cycle. I don't see it stopping anytime soon, but it'd be pretty awesome if it did. True. All right. Well, I don't know. I guess that's it. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess, I, I guess end on the same question that we started with, right? Which is like, what can we do as a freaking community and a group of people who care because guess what it's dwindling the amount of people that are passionate about keeping the sports car alive is slowly just one at a time dying to crossovers um, how sports cars you see on the road nowadays that's the thing man when i drive my fiesta i feel like the last of a damn mohican like nobody gets it you know like nobody even realizes that it's a, a cool car and nobody really gets it. I don't, like, 
<laughs> where's the where's the dudes going the other way and they're cool cars that we used to wave to you know slowly but surely we're, we're dropping out like flies and and, yeah. and and the thing is the more the more people that drop out it's a peer pressure thing it's not really pressure but it's just like a an environment thing the more people that drop out the more that you feel like well um maybe i should too you know or, or like you were saying like he's, he's got a friend that has no kids no real immediate intention of kids. I think he's got like what a two door truck, right? So a single cab truck. Yeah, but he's yeah, buying a know. house. He's buying a house, and now he's like, "Yes, I need to get me a big truck." And it's like, "Bro, why? Why?" You know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like you were saying. It's like you were driving your Mustang all over the place this weekend, and it never occurred to you to throw the car seat in it because it's a two door. And it's like, dude. You, you can carry a kid in this thing. Like we don't all need seven thousand pound Tahoes because we have a forty pound child. Like it's yeah. it's. I don't know. I I grew up in the back of an eighty two nine eleven. Like and I grew up in the eighties and in the eighties, people people made sacrifices for the greater good of what they loved. You know what I mean? Like they they would deal with having to get me in the back of a 911 because you know what it was a freaking 911 get back there like that was you know like that was it now people are like oh uh, i got a kid i need a seven seating car with three rows and you know it's, it's, it's life, life has made us too soft man. yeah Absolutely. we really have too we really soft. have gotten soft um and the bummer with that is that all these softies out there are making it harder for those of us that are still kind of flying that flag to enjoy what we do because, uh, and that's the thing, when you when you buy a car like that that takes you out of the drive, guess what? You get taken out of the drive. And next thing you know, you're on your phone because you don't have, you know, who wants to drive a Tahoe anyway or whatever it is, you know what I mean? So, like, you're on the phone because it's at least something to do. And then so next thing, you're a big nuisance and you're weaving all over. You can't stay in the lane. You keep slowing down and speeding up and you're driving somebody like me freaking crazy behind you. Um, you did it. Show show me where the Tahoe touched you. <laughs> it's every time, man. Every time I'm like, all right, cool stretch of oh, man, God. stuck behind somebody again, you know? Dude, that um, happens to you at a little freaking fiesta. How do you think I feel? You make fun of me because oh, I yeah. drive around the Mustang. What am I supposed to do? What do you think it feels yeah, like to, to run got, up on somebody's ass in a got, supercharged Mustang? Man, what the hell am I supposed to do? You've got an extra 400 horsepower that you're just <laughs> dragging with you. Like, there's no point. Yeah, it's just there for no reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, you know, we've been messing with ideas, me and Guy, about making shirts and stuff about saving the imports or, or whatever. Um or saving the hot hatches or whatever it is. Because I think maybe at least most of us are on the enthusiast level. And that's where we need to start is by, you know, rolling hard again and being obnoxious and, and that kind of stuff, man. That I mean, I know it's childish, but it's infectious and it gets people noticing, you know, like the, the import movement blew up like the reason there is a fast and furious a lot of people say like oh the fast and furious caused the import scene no bullshit like the reason the fast and furious happened is because these little street racers were hanging outside of the mall boulevards raising hell and it got attention it got people kind of like dang what is that's kind of cool all right so how much is an eclipse you know like that kind of it starts like that um and right now think that we as a car community need, need to get a hell of a lot better about hanging out on a normal basis like the only time i ever see modified cars now is when i'm going to a an event an import alliance 
or, or an Eibach meat or something like that. Other than that, these things are just like sheltered. Yeah, I always wonder, is that is that because we got suburb? You know what I mean? Is that because we got older no. and got a house? Or is that for real? Like, I'm sure there are kids out there that are living this shit and going to meets every Tuesday and Thursday night. I don't and many of them, though. I don't see them. That's the thing. I don't like, see them. I, I look I don't, for them. I don't see them anymore. No, man. I can sit at a gas station and it's crickets. I don't hear anything going by but diesel trucks. And maybe it's where I live. But um, I don't know, man. You know, I just... I think that the more that we're out there, I, I would, I don't know how you'd ever tell this, but I'll make a bet that 70% of our subscribers drove something other than a modified car to work today. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, they're not, yeah, they're not, they're not in your face anymore. They're not on the road. Like, when I was um, in college, for example, your street car was your race car, was your show car, was the only car that you had <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. and and so you know they were they were really a part of your life um and Dude, not not just online years for seven years my daily driver was a turbo second gen eclipse highly modified Can you imagine <laughs> how many times that thing broke down yeah. like i i kept the toolbox in the back seat um but you kind of lived the life yeah you know well, yeah, you I, made that, sacrifices. That it, be, it became a lifestyle. You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't, I don't. We got to bring that back. We got to bring back the pride of the lifestyle. You know? Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess the question for all of us, man, whether you work in this industry or whether you're just, you know, a dude that wants to live it, or whether you're a dealer, is like, dude, what can we do to save these cars? Because if not, we're gonna be in a world of you know, metallic gray crossovers <laughs> sooner yeah. than later. And that's before everything's like, what, automatized and drives itself. Which, to be honest, I'm kind of in favor for because it'll get those ass bags that are on the <laughs> phone and their SUVs at least going the speed limit, you know? So um, angry. So angry. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I guess that's it for tonight, right? It's a complicated yeah. problem. But, uh... It's just, it's, it's screwed up that you got people out there wanting to buy Civic Type R's and the dealership is keeping it from happening. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Yeah. Be good, guys. All right. See you, man. See you.